This is episode 449 of the Macworld podcast for March 25th, 2015. Welcome back to the Macworld podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and with me, as always, well, at least for a few weeks so far, Susie Oaks, executive <laughs> editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. I wouldn't leave you. Yeah, hi, I'm here. Well, always, always for me is now four weeks, which is yeah. a long always. I like that. Uh, so we're we're back today uh, as we're recording this. The uh, book has just come out, and we're doing follow forward. We have a plan for the next podcast, which comes on April Fool's Day next week. We'll be uh, doing the. Macworld Book Club will be reading, or we will have read, those of us who are going to be on the podcast, Becoming Steve Jobs, The Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader by Brent Schlender and Rick Tetzley. And uh, spoiler, Susie and I have read a little bit already, and uh, and we're liking it, I think. Yeah, so far so good, yeah. And this is the one that Apple really wanted, I guess. So they talked to Tim Cook, they talked to uh, Steve's widow, they talked to a lot of people. And they wanted to, you know, I guess some people were sort of disappointed in the Isaacson book. So this is trying to give us the full picture of, you know, of Steve. So Very um, complicated man. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting through it and seeing if it has, you know, new insights for people who have kind of heard this story before. Yeah, this will be this will be good. So if you want to uh, read the book before you listen to the next podcast, we'll be talking about it. If you want to know whether you should read the book or not and hear highlights as we discuss why it's worthwhile or not, you can listen. But but you're warned next week. Spoilers. Uh, this week, however, we're going to talk about a few things that are upcoming and a couple things that have happened. Uh, let's start with the rumors of a new Apple TV. Susie, it feels like Apple did a big signal when they said, hey, we're lowering the price from $99, which we charged for a long time, to $69. And the site says something like, as low as $69. Yeah. I feel like they might have signaled things, right? The slide said starting at $69, and I completely missed that. I mean, I could not have missed that more. So, yeah, when I that came out, it was a real forehead-slapping moment. Um like, duh. So, yeah, there's only one, and they lowered it to $69. So if it's starting at $69, that means there must be another model coming. And that is the rumor that it's going to have a, a better processor, that it's going to have series supports, um, and, you know, an SDK for people to write apps, because now I guess you just kind of get tapped to write an app, and now, you know, they're going to open that up a little a little wider. More storage, too? So it's going to, for apps and, and uh, data? Right. Yeah, and the storage isn't the storage in the current Apple TV. It has some storage for like caching, but it's not something that you can be like, I want to put this movie on my Apple TV, and you, the user can't decide like what goes on that storage. Right, and old people like remember when they had a built-in hard drive in the original mm -hmm. bigger models because you actually that one. oh yeah, and it was still working. Oh, that's great. I don't those know were... if it's still working. It oh. might be. It's not hooked up to anything. <laughs> it probably still works. I think it still worked when I got the new one. I don't know why I got the new one, but I... I can't keep track of the generation. So there were the third... I think I have a third generation because the fourth generation is the one that you can upgrade to have the more iOS-like interface. But I believe I have the previous generation, uh. which has the slightly older interface. And this will be, if I'm counting correctly, this will be the fifth generation Apple TV Okay. when it comes out. I believe that's right. You can correct us, listeners. Uh but yeah, I've been wondering for years about another one, not just because of the the hobby remark, but uh, you know, I'm a Wi-Fi guy. I've been mm -hmm. reviewing Apple's Wi-Fi stuff for 15 years, and when the Airport Express came out, that was in a little hockey puck. Well, not hockey puck, the little square tablet, uh, the bread, the piece of uh, toast size, <laughs> piece of Melba toast sized. Uh, 
device, I thought, well, this is weird. Now they have two devices that look very similar. And the difference in function, the difference in the innards is really tiny. The Apple uh, TV does not have audio out. It only has uh, HDMI out in the current version, if I'm right. It's Ethernet, HDMI, Wi-Fi, and like another port, I think. And then uh, the Airport Express is the only way you can shoot AirPlay over a network and do digital toss link as well as uh, analog audio output. Um, but the Airport Express's base station function is pretty minimal. And I've thought, look, all you have to do is stick the audio out jack in the Apple TV, if that's if that's a thing you want to do. Yeah. And you put the base station functionality in. It doesn't need that much processing power to uh, to be a base station anymore. And this is alleged uh, to have an A8 chip in some formulations. So we don't know how powerful that will be relative to other devices, but um, it won't be a low-powered CPU by any means. Yeah, it'd be cool if it was at least like a repeater or something because um, it's it's going to be the HomeKit hub and HomeKit, you know, needs needs good Wi-Fi. It's uh, and the Apple TV currently has some Bluetooth in it, but it's pretty weak. It's just cut to if you want to use a Bluetooth keyboard with it um, to enter your name, you know, usernames and passwords into all the different services. Um, but Bluetooth is a big part of HomeKit too, so I I, I bet they'll be you know pumping up the Bluetooth radio. Um, well, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. They, well, Bluetooth, they could they could do the, uh, there's a flavor that could be, was it class 10? I forget, class 10 and class 30. There's various standards. They could do a higher intensity one since it's plugged in and not battery powered. And that gives you a little bit of, um, Bluetooth is not entirely symmetrical. You don't need the same signal strength on both sides to reach each other. You can have a little asymmetricality in a device with a better antenna, like in a laptop, mm -hmm. and a higher power. So it can both hear better and also broadcast more, it can reach devices that are much lower power further away. So conceivably in one house, if it wasn't too large, if this had a souped up or a, you know, even laptop style Bluetooth radio in it, then it might be able to reach most or all of the house. But it's interesting where you're talking about it. I was thinking then instead of having it's a separate hub, the Apple TV could be the hub. Maybe you still have an airport express or excuse me, an airport extreme base station or time capsule plugged into your broadband modem, but maybe not because I misspoke. The Airport Express has two Ethernet ports. It has a WAN port for broadband connection and a LAN port to connect to an Ethernet switch you could use plus yeah. Wi-Fi. So conceivably, uh, an Apple TV that was also a base station plugs into your broadband, plugs into your local network if you have any Ethernet, becomes a repeater. Uh, it becomes a Bluetooth you know, server, essentially, for HomeKit and maybe other devices, becomes a Wi-Fi server for laptops and iOS devices and desktops even, and becomes a repeater. So it's the main base station that other Apple TVs you have. You know, you have seven TVs in your house, right, Susie, like I do. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, each one of them will have, but, but seriously, even it's $100 if it's a serious enough item, if it's an upgrade, people might buy multiples if it's a base station as well and it all automatically configures and gives them access to everything all at once. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up now, and there, there's actually, they count it as four generations of Apple TV, so this one is the third generation Rev-A. Oh, and um, <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. but, but it hasn't changed since January of 2013, so the, the current hardware is, is two years old. It has an A5 chip, and um, that's basically the same as the... the the rev, you know, the the generation before it. So it's only That's got five hundred and twelve yeah. megs of RAM and eight eight gigabytes of of um, flash memory for for caching. So yeah, there's definitely some room to to uh, beef up its capabilities. And I think if they want it to, you know, be controlling, 
you, you know, talking to your devices while you're you're outside your home, because um, the the devices will talk sort of to each other when you're in your home, but then if you want to check on things from outside, that's when you need the the Apple TV to kind of um, you know you you connect to it over Wi-Fi and then it can it can talk to your devices and you can check on your cameras and your lights and stuff when you're outside of your home network. It's not a DVR. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like uh, no. the uh, the EYE TV, the iTV yes. EYE. <laughs> I think they're still called Elgato. Uh, that is a, a DVR attachment for a Mac or Windows system that lets you record multiple programs at the same time. It's a, or it's a PVR or DVR recorder. Um, redundant recorder, sorry. A digital Well, it video just records recorder. to your hard drive, right? Like it's a TV <laughs> yeah, exactly. tuner and then since it's yeah, plugged into a computer, your computer's like, I can record things. That's my job. Yeah, and the Apple TV is an on-demand device, which is really mm -hmm. distinct. And the only reason I bring that up is I wonder, I mean, with the new... Uh, channel packages they're going to offer, yeah. um, or I'm uh, sorry, that's still alleged, but we know it's going to happen because now we're seeing everybody's unveiling these at the same time, Sony and so forth. So we're going to see a bunch of new packages available, but these are uh, cables essentially broadcast. And I'm curious how they're going to fit in. I don't, I haven't seen any clarification about the difference between, uh, you know, do you have to watch Mad Men on AMC if you get it in the sling package? You have to watch it when it's broadcast. Yeah. Can you capture that and watch that later? Will some of it be on demand later? Most of it just almost like a stream you tap into. Uh, th this is the difference between in the home uh, previous to these kinds of packages. There are, um, especially uh, regional internet providers would offer IPTV, internet protocol, you know, television, and they are offering you essentially the way to, it's broadcast in the that they have hundreds of channels, just like a, a cable wire does, uh, or satellite, but you're tuning into them and they're just feeding that one to you, but they're going to multicast it out over their network. So they're not delivering to you a unique stream. They're sort of splitting it to you and anybody else tuning into it at the same time. So I believe, if I understand it right, there's some efficiencies with that versus on demand where you could have a million people watching different episodes of Mad Men at different points at the same time. Right. I mean, will you be able to pause? I assume you'll be able to pause, but maybe only for, you know, 20 minutes or 15 minutes. I don't know. This is all, these are questions I want answered. Yeah, it's weird because <laughs> they want they want the TV to be a better experience, but just a package of, of cable channels isn't that great of an experience if I can't, you know, then watch them on demand because I could do that back when I had cable and a TiVo. And it wasn't an amazing experience, but, you know, yeah, I, I definitely don't want to go back to appointment viewing where I have to I have to be there at the time it's on. I remember I was really into Lost when it was on. And like there was one season where the season finale of Lost, I think it was on at like eight o'clock or something and probably ran two hours. And then I had to go catch a red eye flight that night oh and gosh. I tried to get a shuttle and you know how the shuttle wants you to, to pick you up really early so you get to the airport nice and early and you don't have to sweat it and they're picking up other people on the way the shuttle wanted to come before Lost was over and I was like absolutely not there's no way you can pick me up before Lost is over like I'm <laughs> not available to leave before 10pm and they're like well I guess you can't take the shuttle so I ended up taking a cab to SFO for like $60 or something because I had to watch. and then it was the spookiest flight ever because I was like looking around at all the <laughs> people on the plane like maybe I should have waited and watched Lost when I got back but it was hard you couldn't just watch things whenever you wanted so yeah they need to they need to do that and I mean it would be a very un-Apple like experience to be like sure just plug a hard drive into the back of it and you can you know record things that way um, but you know they probably don't want to build in huge amounts of storage I don't remember how much storage my TiVo had but I think it was kind of a lot 
And so, yeah, they, they could record like a little bit and then transfer it, you know, to the cloud or over to your your computer or something. I, yeah, it's going to be really interesting how they, they tackle all these problems. Well, you won't be able to do um, output either because even though uh, there's this issue, and I've had this come up, uh, someone was just tweeting about this recently, having an issue where they plugged in an external monitor and they got an HDCP mm, error, yep. which is, yes, the bane of people's existence. And I used to get this with DVI connectors because uh, HDCP is, what is it, some kind of uh, high definition con- copy protection, yep. something like that. And it runs over DVI or HDMI, I guess, I forget if DVI the standard that runs inside DVI. But the idea is that, uh, I had this happen the other day, I was trying to stream something, uh, my wife and I, this is a usual TV story, right? We we have an ITV, recorded the SNL 40th anniversary, we're trying to watch it, but there'd been some kind of signal problem for our broadcast setup. Maybe it was raining really hard, we're in a a TV shadow, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, we're in a TV tower shadow, and we try to uh, watch this, and it's all choppy. And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. I said, let's just pay the three bucks. It's SNL. We're going to watch it. It's four hours long. So we buy it from iTunes. We can immediately stream it. Well, I, uh, I've got a Mac Mini plugged into an HDTV set. I'm using uh, screen sharing to bring up the Mac Mini to get the thing started. I also have a mouse, a remote mouse program that lets me use my iOS device as a mouse, but it's easier just to bring up the session. So I start playing it back in iTunes and it blanks out and it says, you can't play this through the selected device because I had it mirrored to my HDTV at the same time. So then I have to close the screen sharing session, uh, restart the stream, and then the HDCP handshaking happens. So you can't just, even with HDMI output, even if you could capture that, you have to be able to capture and unlock the HTCP uh, part of it, which I, I'm sure it's been broken somewhere, but it's not something people typically do. So there's no like workaround where, well, I could do my own DVR with an Apple TV. Apple's really going to have to support that as a function. But if you look at Comcast, you know, Comcast has been adding um, an enormous amount of on-demand viewing for popular programs with deals with the content providers. So yeah. I'm going to assume that whatever Apple does will have to be comparable for on-demand use as well as kind of the live cable TV stream. Yeah, it's got to be better than Comcast. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, I think I think maybe it was really uh, telling that they sort that they already announced HBO Now. And the rest of it is still a rumor, but HBO Now works like HBO Go in that, yeah, I mean, you can use HBO Go to watch live HBO, but I've actually never done that. Like, I'm just watching on demand. And all of HBO is up there, all the movies, all the shows, and you can binge watch, and it's just a great experience. So if, you know, if Apple's thing is like, yeah, it's like HBO Now for A&E and for, you know, CBS or, uh, you know, all the different networks that they're talking to, maybe they're just opening up their their content catalogs and it's more like streaming music in that, you know, you just have this pool of content and you pay monthly to just, you know, all you can eat, gobble up as much of that as you can. So that would be something that I would be really interested in if it was just HBO Go for a bunch of different networks. Well, and we should remember a thing that happened several months ago. It might have been, was it less than a year? It was that Apple started uh, putting huge amounts of money into its own CDN, Content Distribution Network. There are a bunch of these now that all compete, like Akamai, and uh, there's other companies that are hybrid models that offer both uh, uh, backbone connectivity for uh, uh, high-level internet networks as well as distribution. But a CDN pushes 
uh, valuable content, things that everyone is going to download in the millions or billions or even thousands, whatever, to the closest point on the internet to that user that they can get to. Mm-hmm. So for you know Apple, when it was doing trailers, QuickTime trailers, there are servers all over the place, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of servers that host copies of Apple's clips and so forth. And I don't know, iTunes has some of this as well, and I think they're building it out further. Uh, and depending on what ISP they have a deal with, that this server might be or servers could be inside an ISP's network, so it doesn't become this uh, this big uh, between the I- a big stress between the ISP's network and the rest of the internet. It's a way to decrease the um, overload of networks and decrease the cost in delivering content. So this new Apple TV service would obviously neatly go hand in hand with Apple developing its own CDN to conserve costs in house. Um, Cool. So related to this, I still don't think there's going to be an Apple television. I think the Apple TV is a box. I don't think there's going to be an Apple display kind of thing that is instead a television. What do you think about the potential of that? The rumor's been going on for years now. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it's it's not going to make a TV. Um, people don't buy TVs very often. It's not a high margin business. Apple likes to make a lot of money when they sell you some hardware, and it would it would take a while um, for them to be able to do that. Um, they, you know, their their displays, they, they make displays, but those are very expensive. And the, you know, there's different technologies going on in TVs right now. Like, you know, do you get an OLED or do you get an LCD with quantum dots so it looks like an OLED? And it's just, it's, I would be surprised if they did that. And they don't really need to because everyone's already got a TV and a box is a, mu- a much lower barrier to entry. And if they want a lot of people to, you know, to get this and to subscribe to the streaming package, they need to make it, you know, Apple doesn't, you know, go look, oh, we have to make sure everything's very affordable. That's very important to us. Like that, that's not their thing. But a service like this, I mean, it's it's the best when it scales. So, so it would be a bummer if you had to get a new TV to take advantage of this. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to stick with the box. I like a box better than a streaming stick. Um, I've I've tried the Roku streaming stick and the Fire TV streaming stick. You can't hook them up to Ethernet. So if you know your Wi-Fi is a little eh, in that area. Um, and you know that won't work and yeah they can put in more you know, a better processor and more storage if they keep a box you can connect it to your home theater speakers more easily so yeah i really think a box is is the way to go yeah i i can't imagine well i can't imagine they put everything into a new television even if they were to make one i think they have to sell a box period because they're excluding 99% of the market and they yeah. can't make enough money off the TV even at high margin. What could they bring to a TV that that isn't in the box? Uh, and I also think, you know, they got out of the monitor business mostly. They still have that, they have a the couple monitors, they have the big one. I can't remember what they sell anymore, but they, they got out of it when it became commodified. And mm-hmm. they used to be able to offer something and they got a huge premium price because their monitors were in fact better. Then the industry caught up, it became totally commodified. It's very difficult for most of the companies in the space to actually make any money selling monitors or televisions because it's so, there's so much competition and supply. And uh, they can't get out of the businesses, but they can't make a margin either. It's a really weird, <laughs> it's a weird position to be in. And I think whenever I hear these rumors, I think, why would Apple 
make a television. It's a terrible business to be in today, and there's nothing they can add to it. Why would they buy a cellular carrier? It's a terrible business. No, I'm sorry. It's a great business if you own Spectrum, if you have all the assets. It's very high margin. Uh, rumors around that Apple might try to buy Comcast at one point, and I thought, oh, buy the company that has the exact opposite <laughs> JD Powers or whatever ratings from yeah. you for customer for CustSat. Uh, I don't think customers will be satisfied by an Apple version of Comcast. There's just no way to make that Align. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Gene Munster is ever going to get his pony. Uh, and um, I don't think there'll ever be a television. And, you know, I've got a Samsung and I bought an inexpensive, uh, for us, large screen. It's like 27 inches for us in this house. It's a very large screen television. And I hate the software, but the display is pretty fantastic. Uh, the, the software, the firmware is awful. The Amazon and Netflix built-in stuff is awful, although we use it sometimes because the Apple TV doesn't have Amazon. Uh, but uh, but the display technology is actually terrific. It's lightweight, and it's uh, and we hope it'll we'll have it for you know a decade. <laughs> Hence the problem. Uh, I would not buy an Apple television now. Yeah, I looked at a lot of TVs at CES, and I mean you can get there, there's these companies that are coming out of China now, like Higher and TCL, um, and you can get these really low cost for. 4K panels that you know oh that just it, there's it would be really hard to undercut those. Um, and why would Apple do that instead of I mean it's got its 5K iMac that's where it's putting its glass that's where it's putting mm -hmm. its display technology because that's a super high margin item for them. Uh, you know I'm uh, that's the next machine I think I would buy is an iMac and I've got some. I've got. I'm hedging my bets about when a MacBook Air is would ever be refreshed. Now I don't think it will, or what the the second MacBook model would be. But the iMac, five uh, K iMac, is like the most attractive thing that you could buy. And at twenty six hundred dollars is the starting price. That doesn't strike me as that expensive for given the display and what's in it. It actually seems like a good deal relative historically it is to a good deal. Um, other models. So yeah. why would Apple make a TV when they can make these and and make whatever probably thirty percent margin like they often do. Yeah, a TV is just kind of a dumb screen, and the the, the computing devices are, are where they need to focus. Well, uh, we'll move on to our next topic, but just to remind uh, our fine listeners uh, that if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of this podcast, tool over to themidroll.com, where you can find out more about uh, request information on sponsoring the show, and we can bring your product to our fine, handsome, lovely, intelligent, and tasteful listeners. So themidroll.com, head over there and get more information about sponsoring this fine podcast. And uh, now let's talk about uh, something that's uh, already uh, in process, but we don't know the outcome of. So this is not a rumor, but um, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo kind of uh, spent years being the Microsoft or maybe the Nokia of the market. <laughs> No, no, I shouldn't say that. Nokia had smartphones. I can't criticize them. They were well They're ahead of the like market. They're kind of like BlackBerry a little bit. Yeah. Like they were they at just, the top of their game and then they just sort of stopped like advancing. I mean, they, they do it, advance, but they advance in weird ways where it's not the way that the general market is advancing. But, you know, we know that Clay Christensen's model doesn't work for Apple, right? His, his innovator's dilemma model has been sort of not exactly disproven, but he keeps having to modify it for that. But the Nintendo, the console casual game thing, like casual games ate the lifeblood of consoles and the newer consoles came out as well. And Nintendo seems to, they seem to have gotten his head that casual games and mobile devices were not where they wanted to put their effort. They wanted to keep exclusive content in places they could control it 
uh, better, I guess. That's mm-hmm. that's what it seemed like. But this new uh, development, this this kind of comes really late in the cycle. But what are they gonna what are they gonna do going forward now? Okay, so here's the story. Um, Nintendo said that they are gonna partner with um, a Japanese mobile developer, uh, DNA, to start creating mobile games based on the classic Nintendo franchises that people my age grew up with and still love. Uh, you know, your Zeldas, your Marios all that great stuff. So some people are like, oh, wow, this is great. It's about time. Like, you're very late to this party. And other people are like, oh, no, like, what are you going to do to Mario? <laughs> so, but yeah, it's like, this is, it's it's long overdue. And even, they're not just going to be porting, you know, games. Like, you're not going to get Super Mario 3 iPhone version, which I would love. But um, <laughs> but no, they're going to they're gonna be doing new games. And that makes sense. I mean, there's like Super Smash Brothers. There's um, one of my favorite Nintendo games ever was this puzzle game called Dr. Mario. It was, uh, it was on the NES. It was uh, kind of like a head-to-head Tetris sort of thing. But it was a puzzle game. Like, touchscreens are great for puzzle games. So they could really do a lot with, with this IP. And... Yeah, it's 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 really good news. And even if you're like, oh, I don't I don't like that. Like this this doesn't interest me at all. Nintendo needs to make some money so they can keep doing innovative things on the console side. Like people aren't buying a lot of these consoles, but um, but a small fan base still is. And I mean, this is a way for Nintendo to be able to keep serving those fan bases and let you know the the, the booming mobile market pick up some of the costs. And this is going to drive people crazy, though, because uh, the the partner, as I understand it, they have a lot of the top grossing games, right? The, the free-to-play mm-hmm. free games. These games yeah. drive people crazy. I have to say, my uh, kids got into a couple of them, and we simply told them, we're not going to let you put money into it. But, you know, maybe at some point we talked Dave Allowance. We thought, well, you know, if you really want to do it, we're going to wait a while. We're going to see if it's a lasting thing. Uh, what was one of them? I've forgotten. Castle something. I don't know. But they got into a couple of these games, and the free-to-play aspect uh, eventually drove them out. Now they do Minecraft, as do all children between ages you know, zero and, yeah. and 50 or 100 soon. Um, anyway, but the, the, the free-to-play model is a rich one to mine. It's unfortunately the way that a lot of games have gone, right? And there's a few games that take a stand. Uh, we saw how uh, that most beautiful of all games, um, Monument Valley, uh, which I finally played after the kerfuffle happened about their pricing. Uh, I finally played it, and it's one of the most lovely things I've ever done in any medium. You know, period. Mm-hmm. I just, it's, everything about it is wonderful. Then my kids uh, got introduced to it. A friend was visiting. She showed it to them and they became uh, just obsessed with it. It has an incredible aesthetic appeal. And they're not um, free to play. You have to pay. You have to pay. And then they added levels and you pay for the levels. And people got bent out of shape about that, even though it was so inexpensive and the experience was so rich. So DNA is a specialist on extracting money from these kind of weight states you know you got to get the thing if you really want to be competitive as i've read about it because i don't play these games uh, it just sounds too annoying to me if you want to be competitive you have to put actual cash in you can certainly play the games and have some pauses and not get all the stuff but um but it's a very different philosophy than i think the games that people speak most highly about but it's but it's how you make money in the space too well freemium could kind of go either way like there's there's 
games that abuse it and that, you know, they, they ramp up the difficulty so hard. And if you're not willing to pay, you're just going to hit a wall and not be able to advance. Or, yeah, if you're playing against other people, you're going to be ill-equipped to, you know, defeat them because they are throwing money and you're, you know, grinding away like a level at a time. But there's also, I mean, it can be done really well. Like I play, we have a column called uh, Freemium Field Test where our games guy, Andrew Hayward, um, takes a freemium game and plays it and sees, like, is is this a good use of your time even if you're not going to pony up? So one of the games that he wrote that I became obsessed with after reading his column is called Two Dots. And I have... I've never put, I think I've put a couple of dollars into Two Dots, but I really haven't paid that much. And I, you know, if it was a paid game, I'd be happy to pay $5 for it and play forever. I think on, there's other games like Triple Town was like, yeah, you, you have a limited number of turns if you play for free, but then there was like one price where you pay $4 and unlock it forever. And that was more of a trial situation than a freemium model. Um, Two Dots really is freemium where you can play for free forever you get five lives and then the lives regenerate over time or you can pay to get more lives. Um, You get power-ups. You can earn a power-up every day. So you can still get and use power-ups without paying. But if you want more power-ups, yeah, you can pay. So um, I've just been playing it and I got to the end of all the levels, which is rare for me. They put out more levels. I was so excited. I'm currently stuck like five levels into the new pack but I'm not going to pay because I'm just going to keep playing and it's still really really fun so it just sort of depends like you can do it well or you can do it badly and I think it's a good model for publishers because if two dots said look Susie like you can pay five dollars and then play forever and have all the power-ups you want um they have to they have to go after those whales, you know, because everyone will pay five bucks once, but there's a small percentage of people who will just pay over and over and over and over again and end up giving you hundreds of dollars. So you're kind of leaving money on the table if you just go with like a a pay once and and, and you're, you're good. So... So yeah, like freemium, it just depends. Like if they really hamper the game without you paying, like you feel ripped off and you feel, you know, you just have a bad feeling about it. But if they're careful and they give you a good experience either way and you can just, you know, choose to pay to play a little longer or enhance that experience, um, then then people don't mind. Like you don't mind really paying a buck or two here and there. This is where it would be great if Apple had more kinds of models for the App Store though too because Mm -hmm. then like everyone's gotten constrained into to a few, I mean, it's shaken out if you want to make any actual money, if this is a product that you need to return revenue on as opposed to uh, an adjunct to a business you already have. Like a credit card company needs an app because everybody has an app and they want to you know, integrate with Apple Pay notifications and all the other things. Uh, they're not making money off that app. It's part of their business. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. service app, right? But for the rest of the market, anywhere where payment is required, I feel like Apple not having trials. Uh, you know, my friend Brianna Wu, her game, uh, Revolution 360, uh, Revolution 60 rather, not 360, just 60, uh, they had, you could play through to a certain amount of time and then you essentially paid to unlock the rest of the game, which fits into Apple's model, but it's a tricky way to go because it's it's not exactly a trial. Um, and if they had Apple had formal trials or could you subscribe? I think in the current model, you can subs- subscriptions have to cover consumable or non-consumable items. I don't think of a game that's had a subscription system built into it either because of some of the inflexibility about what Apple considers subscription items. So it feels like 
people are being pushed in new directions. So when, in that standpoint, the publishers uh, have to pursue something that's going to provide this sort of return, I agree. I, I guess you're right. There's a dial that has to be turned between um, what's free and what you pay for. And I've read about some experiences that sound incredibly maddening where you're having to pay for every little thing, you know, they could they could have a, a an app that like, here's our free app. It's just called I'm a Mario. And Mario stands and says, "Hi, I'm a Mario." You don't pay for that. It just <laughs> stands there. You pay some money, maybe he dances. But you know, there's there's just yeah. There's I don't think they'll have a Mario Fart app. Oh, I think gosh. Nintendo no. is very protective of its IP, and I don't think they're gonna just you know do something that would damage like you know the these characters that they have. Been around for decades. I think there's and a way to get a, really love. Yeah, there's a way to get a stream of money from people in a way that they enjoy paying for it, right? So, mm-hmm. Apple Match is a good or iTunes Match. Like, I don't love it, but I don't mind paying twenty five dollars a year. Uh, for some people, it doesn't work right, and it's a mess and whatever. For me, it actually works. Uh, there's a, I've had a few problems with it, but for twenty five dollars a year, what I get out of it, uh, both past and current, has been completely worthwhile. You know, so I don't mind that trickle of money. It's twenty five bucks. There's other things where you're like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, I have to spend more money to make this thing continue to work that I already have. Then you get aggravated. So you don't want to mm-hmm. press that button. Don't press that button. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about uh, an, a future-looking uh, quasi-rumor thing next, which is iOS 8.3 is coming down the pike. Uh, unknown time, but sounds like fairly soon. Uh, now, I'm going to confess ignorance because I, uh, I've been too busy with other things. Is, the, is 8.3 available as a public beta for people to test? They can sign up and load it? Yes, it is. Well, and the thinking. last time I checked, it was a public beta in the sense that you didn't have to be part of the developers program, but it wasn't like super public. It's still kind of, you you know, you express interest. Yeah, you express interest and you, yeah, you might get in. Um, So, yeah, but um, they are doing a public beta for for iOS and this is the first one. It's very interesting because I've recommended for years that people never, people who aren't developers or aren't uh, writers like us uh, don't get involved in beta testing yeah. because it's it saps productivity and you know, you're donating your labor to another company. So unless you have an extreme reason, mm-hmm. but people do like And on a Mac, mm-hmm. you can just, you know, partition your hard drive and put the new OS on a partition, but on your phone, like people don't have I guess now that the iPhone's been around so long, you might have an old iPhone, but yeah. you don't want to put a new OS on an old iPhone and and yeah, so it's it is kind of weird um Apple's making betas sound nice and safe and <laughs> not always the case. I'm in the I've been getting the Yosemite betas and I haven't had any problems with those. Mm-hmm. And the developers are getting the iOS betas. Like so the beta that's out now, the same one has gone to developers and um the public, but This is the second one that the public has gotten and the fourth one that the developers have gotten. So there were a couple betas that were like just developers and then they let the public in. So it's, you know, it's it's not like the very first beta, I guess. Um, But yeah, I I haven't even gotten into that one yet. So I'm still on 8.2. But yeah, it sounds like there's some there's some cool stuff coming. Um, I'm more interested in what wasn't mentioned, mm. which again is HomeKit. So yeah, let's talk about what is what is in there. 
um, Siri speakerphone calls. And when I saw that, I was like, wait, we can't we already do that? But I guess you would already have to be paired to a speakerphone device. Like I have Bluetooth speakers that have microphones in them, and you can use it to make a speakerphone call. And so right now, today, you could say, hey, Siri, call Glenn. And if, you know, I was already connected to that oh, Bluetooth wait, speaker, you said, hey, Siri, I just said it. Oh, no, this is like the knights who said knee. Whenever you oh, say, sorry. we have to say, uh, no, sorry, we would say ahoy telephone. Uh, Ahoy, so telephone. I'm stealing that from the uh, upgrade. Uh, Jason Snell. I was sitting next show. to Serenity at the Apple event, and when they demoed Hey Siri, her phone was like, what? Oh, Hello? my gosh. I know. As long as you're, <laughs> you're plugged in, I turned that feature off because what would yeah. happen is I would be talking, and, and it was plugged in a, at, the t- uh, at a, a dock above the TV set, and I would just be talking, and we would not say words like Ahoy, telephone, and uh, it would suddenly start talking to us. We'd be like, no, no, you quiet down. Yeah. So I've turned the that feature off. The weird thing is off. I doubt she was plugged in. Maybe she was plugged in. Plugged into plugged like in. a battery pack. Maybe she had a Mophie on or yeah, something. She, she, we talk. Yes, we talk about Siri. She's a she. In England, it's to he. Uh, but, but so you. Yeah, a couple of people have said you can't call you can't call Siri a she, and I'm like, but I'm not going to say like he or she. Like it's just easier this way. So yes, for me, Siri is a she. I'm sorry if that you know isn't how you see her, but um, yeah, just for the sense of of simplicity. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I guess you'll be able to to. Uh, initiate a speakerphone call without having to let the call go through and then reach over and press that that speaker button. So that's kind of nice. It's kind of small. Um, but yeah, Siri's getting a lot better. So maybe she'll get some some cool things in 8.3 that people just haven't unearthed in the beta yet. Um, like last night, I was driving over the bridge and I was listening to a podcast on my phone connected to my car stereo with a cable. And I was like, hey, I wonder, I just said, hey, Siri. And she paused the podcast and was immediately there and sent a text message to, to my friend to, to tell her that I was on the way. I was like, I'm on the Bay Bridge. I'm talking to Siri. This is fun. <laughs> so that was cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool how many new features that they're getting. Um, and then another thing that was mentioned is uh, no password required to download free apps. So that's another small thing, but, you know, kind of a nice touch um, unless, you know, you have friends who like to prank you and they're going to download a bunch of free apps on your phone and then turn on all the notifications and make your phone more annoying. April Fool's it's coming up. Keep that in mind. Strangely, our next taping date. Ha ha. Oh, I wonder yeah. if that could mean anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks like there's a, a bunch of miscellaneous uh, items added. It's not a big update. Um, but it will definitely be, it'll be slightly noticeable. So there's nothing, I, I think that we just hit the hot, uh, it's funny actually how few major things there are in this because we're getting to that state where it's bug fixing and uh, it's not uh, it's not major overhaul time because ostensibly they're on path to iOS 9. iOS 9 has probably been in development since uh, before iOS 8 shipped. I'm sure they started working on that and that's going to be the great mystery is will iOS 9 be a maintenance release as many of us are hoping and praying it will be or will it feature new flagship stuff that's developed from scratch and no one's used before and we have painful months going through it. I still have problems in iOS 8.2 with uh, alternative keyboards and the alternative keyboards mm-hmm. um, only crash and only cause problems in Apple's apps. They do not cause problems in any other app. Messages, mail, Safari. I have this workaround where I have to, if I, ca- I try to do spotlight, I swipe down no keyboard. I have to r- launch Safari, tap in the, uh, the URL bar, 
have a keyboard come up, then I can return and use it. I have to do this almost every time. That to me would be something that Apple should be able to work out with the developer of that keyboard uh, if it's an issue with the keyboard, but that same keyboard works in every other app except the four that I typically use with Apple. So, uh, so I'm hoping 8.3 is, is a, you know, it's a, it's a, got a few features and I hope we get some, you know, 8.4 and 8.5. And then, because uh, we obviously HomeKit needs to appear at some point. Uh, and health kit improvements and so forth. Uh, but then uh, let's have 9.0. If there is a 9.0, instead of saying 8.5 in September, I'm, I'm hoping it's a maintenance release. <laughs> yeah. Stop changing so fast. I'm old. I need a slower release schedule on this. But it's just, it's that stability. It's, uh, it's driving me. I mean, Yosemite has, I feel like it's mostly settled down for me. iOS has as well. We're six or seven months into both cycles now. Uh, but I don't want to have like, three or four months, five months go by and then have to go through this again. And I feel like it's what happens with Apple. So I, I'm holding out for, a, um, you know, Yosemite plus whatever. It's, uh, it's not, you can't do a mountain lion to a lion with Yosemite. So I don't know what the next thing is. Yeah. Well, and I've been really, I'm starting to get impatient about this whole HomeKit thing. I keep yeah. harping on it. But yeah, since iOS 8 was announced, I mean, I was at TechHive then and I was covering a lot of smart home things. And I was like, yes, finally, there's going to be just super deep integration and I'll be able to run all this thing, you know, on an OS level and the apps will talk to each other. This is going to be so great. And it's just been, you know, iOS 8 came out, there was crickets. Um, CES happened in January. We finally saw some devices. Some of those devices are out, like the the Wythings Home. They say is going to use HomeKit, and it's out, but it, the, the HomeKit part isn't you know on yet. So it just kind of works as a standalone thing with its own app, and that's fine. But I yeah, I really want them to turn it on. Um, yeah, it's I I hooked up a couple things yesterday, and I was like, hey Siri, hello phone is there any HomeKit stuff on my network? And she had no idea what I was talking about. And <laughs> Oh, don't ask Siri about the watch. She won't stop. She'll go on and on really? if you ask her. About the, start asking her about the watch. She has a lot of things to say about that, apparently. Does she have a whole commercial about the watch? No, but That's she hilarious. says, I've been noticed people have been posting, uh, they've tried a lot of combinations, and she's she's a little bit of an advertisement for it. Even if you don't ask oh, about no. even if you don't ask about the watch directly, you can find uh, oh. various places. Yes, it's very sad. It's very sad. That between between the mandatory mandatory watch app installed in yeah. iOS, which people were very unhappy with because it felt like U2 all over again. Uh, <laughs> that was not yep. happy making. But um, And this is now a mandatory watch app. How many mandatory apps will we have? And then Siri will be telling us, saying, are you sure you want to look at your wrist? Maybe you need an Apple Watch when it ships. Please pre-order now, even though you can't. No, I don't want, no she say that. I don't want any. I don't want any of that. Uh, I don't want. Yeah. I don't want to be advertised to my OS. If I wanted that, I would have been running Windows. Ah, from a third party. Windows doesn't advertise you directly. Only the OEMs do. Uh, well, let's go on to our last issue. I think, which is uh, which is a, a payment related one of sorts. Uh, Square Cash, which I keep wanting to call Squash Cash, but it's not. It has nothing to do with pumpkins or other gourds. Uh, Square Cash is something that was introduced by uh, the payment processor Square. Uh, where a couple of years ago they added this way that you could send email to people with uh, basically you'd CC uh, the address, I think it was cash at square.com. And uh, if that person was set up, the subject line, you could just say like, here's $5 for Susie. And if you were set up with your account, $5 would be transferred and I'd be notified. And if you weren't set up, it would say, hey, if you want to receive this money, add uh, you know your debit card and you're all set. Um, so uh, uh, they've made a change, which I think is interesting. Um, 
So have you, when you go to, around in California, I forget if we were talking about this before with Apple Pay in a previous podcast, does everybody have a square register or some kind of square thing at all the small shops in San Francisco Bay? Yeah, a lot of them, to take credit cards, they're using, um, Square has that thing where it's kind of like an iPad-looking thing with a, a larger swipe, not just the dongle that you'd plug into the headphone jack of an iPhone, but a lot of people have this, I, I can't remember what it's, it's called. called. It's called square. Register, I think. Yes. Yeah, the, you, you do see the Square registers around a lot. And I've seen a fair amount of them, too, and that's where when we were talking, oh yes, when we were talking about Apple Pay in a previous uh, previous episode... Uh, was that that will likely be, if it doesn't already have NFC inside, which I think it doesn't, I think they've been kicking it around for long enough that they probably were waiting, uh, but the next you know, release of that ostensibly will have NFC in, and then it could support Apple Pay and all the other pays out there that require, uh, that will work with touchless um, touchless payment. Uh, but so Square, they've been widely known, they were founded as kind of an alternative way to PayPal and other methods, uh, and, and also the expensive... Uh, ways that you'd have to work with a bank to collect or to, or to accept credit cards. They often mm-hmm. involve monthly fees. There were high per transaction fees. Chargebacks were a pain if somebody complained about a charge. It was kind of a big uh, thing when Square came into the market. And I would say it's transformed it. A lot of the banks had to get on board with providing cheaper readers that would plug into smartphones. Uh, you had uh, PayPal adding a service and having to modify what it does. And Square became a a force in this in-person, this card present transaction thing where you need a card from somebody, you're going to swipe it and it's going to let you take it. And whether it's a business that does a million dollars a year in a retail storefront or someone who sells $500 at, a, at you know three garage sales in front of their house <laughs> or in back of their house. So Square Cash, they just released this new um, app and a new thing, which is the um, they're adding... They're trying to make it easy to send money to people online. And it's kind of a funny thing. They're pitching it as, well, this replaces checks, which I think is a funny sales pitch because how many checks do you write now? I haven't written a check in a really long time. Do you st- I don't even think we pay our mortgage with a check right now. Yeah, Our bank, when we refinanced with a credit union uh, like seven years ago, we got, I think at one point we got a discount in a previous mortgage by doing automatic deduction. And then the credit union said, no, we will only do this if there's, it's just a mandatory for the credit union, that it's a deduction. So we don't write a check for that. Over the last few years, we shifted every payment we could to online. And I think I write a check to like the PTA and occasionally Mm -hmm. you'll have a, a tradesperson come out and most of them have square. And if they don't, I will write them a check, but it's, it's almost always, someone came out the other day and they had a square reader and it, something malfunctioned, their phone wasn't working. So I wrote them a check, but that's the only check. I I think I've written three checks in the last two or three months. Uh, So I don't, people don't write checks, but what their new proposition is that uh, two things. One is that they've added business service. And, um, and that's interesting because then this allows businesses to accept, uh, you know, relatively modest sums, but essentially as if someone is presenting uh, cash directly. So it's it's equivalent of cash in the same way a check is the equivalent of cash as opposed to going through a credit card processor, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And the business fee is, I'll have to look that up, the business fee is relatively low. So they're not, they're trying to get into what their current system is where they charge... um, Square charges a very small fee for merchants. They charge a uniform fee so that they don't uh, they don't have to calculate what each card. It used to be when you took credit cards as a merchant, you used to pay different rates for every single uh, kind of uh, card you got. So if it was a black master or black Amex, uh, black American Express, you might pay five percent. 
fee on on transactions through that. Uh, and some bank cards might only be two percent. And Square. Weird. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it's That's a funny. Strange. It's a hidden factor. It's why some places don't take American Express because they charge a high, higher fee. Square and Stripe Online and some other processors now too. They decided to go uniform and they mm-hmm. absorb the variance in that. So they're I think they're all about two point nine or two point nine nine percent. And uh, usually uh, I think Square has a per transaction fee as well. So the ca- mm-hmm. on the cash side. So with Square Cash. The cash side, they're saying it's one point five for percent. for businesses and um and which is great because it's you know it's half what the credit card fee would be and it's coming directly from it's like bank to bank money transfer so it's going through a debit card uh, system and um, I have some nervousness about that because as we were talking about a few weeks ago previously on a previous episode with the current capital letter C system that some retailers want to adopt that taps directly into bank accounts as well. And uh, I believe, you know, I couldn't get this answer out of Square when I talked to them about it when they launched Cash, and I don't think they've ever quite disclosed it, but they, um, I believe they're working through, they, they believe they're working through a system where there is protection for the consumer. So if you have, a, if you use a debit card, you punch in the PIN. Um, or you provide direct withdrawal information, there are fewer protections. Credit cards have, m- have many more protections for the consumer, including a $50 limit, which is typically waived, and, and all kinds of other rules in place. Debit transactions have many fewer protections. It really opens your bank account. Um, so Square, you know, they have their... They've put things in place. They're a very smart company. They've already been doing, you know, many, many billions of credit card transactions. They... Um, they are doing everything they can from that knowledge. They're not starting in this naively, but it's a it's a different thing. But the reason I want to talk about it is um, that's a lot of background. Is uh, I think it's interesting in contrast to Apple Pay, Samsung's upcoming Samsung Pay, and um, and as opposed to Google Wallet, which is a, a few different things to what Android Pay will likely be as well. Which is those are sort of conduits for using the credit card network. Whether I believe debit cards accepted through Apple Pay are actually charged through the credit card network, because you don't enter a PIN. Uh, yeah. So I believe it's charged as a credit card transaction. So it still comes Which is like, how I like to use my debit card anyway. Yeah, me too. Because of the protections, that. like you said. So Yeah. So I, that, but so it's a distinct thing where all the mobile payment systems are really wrapping themselves around the existing network and making it more secure and convenient, where Square Cash is is kind of tapping or trying to tap the initial market they had. It. And do you remember, were you a... a Palm Pilot owner? No. Well, so the early Palm Pilot, when PayPal introduced, you could send money, I think it was through infrared, um, between two people with, I think it was the Pilot ones. And this was, PayPal was launched as a peer-to-peer cash transfer system. And uh, Macworld contributor, longtime Macworld contributor and book author, Jeff Carlson, good friend of mine, we used to share office space together and we'd have our little nerdy palms and we would go out to lunch and we would tap and put money and then but very shortly after <laughs> PayPal launched the I think between the necessary regulation to do this uh, legitimately and and widely they sort of shifted to being an online payment source and where you had to put money in a balance and then they added credit card processing and other things and they basically became a back-end payment processor but Square Cash reminds me much more of that early like I just want to Susie I just want to send you five bucks 
you know? Yeah. And when I doing it through email is sort of silly. And they had an app before the Square Cash app originally was more like a wrapper around email. Now it's a little more sophisticated. The other thing they added is they added what they're calling a dollar sign cash tag. So you can register yeah. a name. It's like the Facebook name or a Twitter name. You can register a handle mm-hmm. and then someone can find you. And so as a business, that's great. You could be, you know, dollar sign, uh, you know, uh, Marin sandwich or something like that. But uh, but I think that's trying to ease that as well. So if you're if you're um, SF Sue's, uh, dollar sign FS Sue's, and that's the same handle used on Twitter and there, I don't even have to find your email address. I can just do dollar sign yeah. FS Sue's. Yeah, that's fun because we need these peer-to-peer things because as people are carrying less cash now, you do have the problem of, okay, like you just bought me a beer and I want to pay you back. So yeah, I've been using Venmo a lot yes. um, with my friends and we still use PayPal a little bit, but the barrier there is that you have to have someone's email address or their phone number or some kind of personal identifying thing. And Venmo so is a whole deal. Venmo, you got to do verify that you have, they put send deposits to your account. You have to verify what those tiny amounts are in cents. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a system. It's more, Venmo is great for like, Payments, And I can see, like, let's say you're paying back a loan to a family member. Like, Venmo is a yeah. great way to do that. And the way that I would have used to use PayPal for that, I don't like the way pay, all of PayPal's appurtenances and how much they try to sell me at. I would use something like Venmo. But Square Cash is more informal than that even. It's like because all you have to do, each party just links in a debit card. Uh, which, right. which see, then you have to have, by the way, I kept, I was protesting the transaction and I've now memorized the, uh, the CVV, the, uh, the, the thing, CVV2, the, the number that's printed on the back of your debit or credit card, uh, yeah. that that's not in the magnetic stripe. I believe it's only on the card. I've now memorized that for my debit card because I've been asking oh, yeah, me too. It for square cash so many times now. Yeah. But that becomes yeah, your Yeah, so the the cool thing about these tags is that, you know, you really there's no reason to keep your tag close to your vest like you might with your email address. So, you could have like you could be a guy parking cars and just, you know, wear a name tag with your <laughs> cash tag <laughs> on it at. and people could send you tips. Yeah, you could put it on your business card. Um yesterday all the, you know, smart Alex that I follow on Twitter were all like tweeting theirs and like, "Haha, send me money," which, you know, yeah, but um, it's the new Bitcoin so address. Yeah, Here's my Bitcoin address. Give me money. Exactly. But it's not a QR code, so people might actually use them. <laughs> oh, burst. That's a sick burn against 20-year-old technology. Yeah. That's, you're right. Sorry, QR I love, codes. I love QR codes, but not how they're not. They didn't make it. Uh, yeah, they I, remind me of fuzz on old TVs. They look like oh static. It's true. But so I wonder, Square Cash, like in this new ecosystem, this reminds me a little of the of the loop pay acquisition by Samsung is Samsung is going to integrate this into its payment system where it'll use, uh, you know, a, a magnetic charge simulator or, or device rather that will simulate a card swipe and will work with something like 90% of the uh, card swipe readers out there. So where they don't have NFC, this is Samsung's way to say we could be an 8 million of 9 million retail outlets right away instead of Apple, which is slowly, you know, 700,000, but then they're slowly expanding. But the fact is that we're going to see fewer and fewer Stripe only places going to meet in the middle and the people who are using mobile payment devices are, or technologies are likely the places where they go or the places that are going to have NFC terminals. It'll be worthwhile to the merchants to have upgraded along with all the other stuff they have to do um, this year for supporting chips in, in credit cards. So I wonder where in the ecosystem Square Cash 
fits, even though I know I'll use it. I'm set up and I'm, I used it when it first came out. I used it to settle you know, bills with a few friends for meals and then I forgot it existed. But with the app, this new app and kind of this new system, I, I expect I will use it much more casually and often uh, if they manage to get enough people in the network. I don't want to drag people into it, but um, like my, my credit union has this thing called POP, pay other people money, pot money. And uh, it's <laughs> a, I, they license it from some national provider and it's free wire transfers to other people. It's only on their personal accounts now. So when I need to send money to my dad, for instance, for something, uh, we have a tiny, tiny business venture. I send money to my dad. Instead of writing him a check, which is inconvenient, I can send him money with pot money. It's free. It takes like two to three days, winds up in his account. It's great, right? It's direct deposit. However, I had to get him in the system. I had to induct him. I'm like, okay, here you go. You have to do this. He had to enroll. He has to give them a routing number and a, you know, whatever. It's very different than enrolling a credit card or a debit card. And I, and I wonder if that's where Square Cash winds up having ease is that once you've enrolled yourself and you have a network, Susie, you and I are in the system. When we meet in San Francisco for lunch, we can pay each other money back and it's really easy. Yep. And But if the network effect works, if they can get a couple million people to use the Square Cash app, even once a month or even ever, suddenly it becomes a viable way for this low-level commerce, which is probably adds up to billions of dollars in process charges a year. I don't know. Just doesn't seem the right direction to me, but it does solve a problem. Well, until we have such point to meet in person and exchange money electronically with each other, um, no, <laughs> I, I'll send you a check that you can scan with your phone and shred. That's also fun. I've, I've done that with people next door to me uh, rather than hand them cash or write a check and hand it to them. Uh, but until that point, uh, people who listen to this podcast, we enjoy having you listen to us and we want to hear more about what you want. You can write us at podcast at macworld.com, podcast singular, at macworld.com. Tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about, send us your questions, send us any feedback about the episodes. You can also leave comments on macworld.com on the post where we post each episode of the podcast, and we will try to incorporate that into future episodes. But until next week, when you'll join us for the book club of the air, in which we will have read and we'll have some special guests to discuss becoming Steve Jobs. So read that book or don't read it, but expect that next week. And Susie, it's been great to talk to you again. You too. Thanks for being here. Pleasure. And this has been episode 449 of the Macworld Podcast for March 25th, 2015. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>